Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to Sarah Pink, Design Anthropologist and Director of the Interdisciplinary Emerging Technology Research Lab at Monash University and one of the keynote speakers at the Anthropology and Technology Conference happening in Bristol on the 3rd of October 2019. In today's episode, Sarah speaks of her past, current and potential future projects which look into human-technology relation from a more interdisciplinary perspective than human-computer interaction. We ask Sarah about her way to combine academic scholarship and applied work which can make an impact not only in organizations but in society in a broader sense. She shares her insights on how anthropologists can engage in pushing research and development to a different level and to use design anthropological theories to think of human futures to which technologies have a positive contribution. She also speaks to the concept of trust and is relevant to multidisciplinary collaboration. Lastly, she shares a few words to those considering to join the conference as participants. And before we end this, um, I just wanted to share a personal note. I have been an applied anthropologist now for, for four years, and Sarah was one of the scholars that during my graduate program has really inspired me through her writing to pursue this um, non-academic track, but also to, to believe that it is possible to somehow live at the boundaries between the two worlds, the academic and the applied world. For me, um, listening to her speak to her experience in the space and the motivations and the drivers that she has to kind of contribute to um, building of the knowledge in that space, um, it's been really inspiring. So. Um, Sorry for the time where my emotion kind of kind of shows in interviewing her. It's been really an honor and we hope you enjoy it. Um, hi, friends. We are here today with uh, Sarah Pink. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Friends, I was just telling Sarah earlier that um, I'm very, very excited and nervous to be talking to her. So please excuse my nerves as we move on in this episode. But yeah, very happy to have you with us today, Sarah. And I know you are one of the speakers at the Anthro um, Tech Conference that is happening in Bristol uh, at the end of this year. Um, but before we go into the topic of what you're going to speak to at the conference, maybe you can share a little bit about yourself to our listeners that, that don't know you yet. Okay, thank you very much and hello. So I'm delighted to be participating in this podcast and in the conference, um, the Anthropology and Technology Conference that's coming up. So I'm originally an anthropologist. My undergraduate degree was in anthropology. And um, then my master's degree was in visual anthropology. So that was at Manchester University where I learned ethnographic filmmaking. I was the second cohort of students to ever be in that program, which was, which was wonderful and completely shaped my career. And also shaped my career as an applied anthropologist and as a design anthropologist because mm -hmm. video and ethnographic documentary still remains at the core of a lot of my practice as a researcher. Um, so after that, I went on and did a PhD in, um, in anthropology. Um, actually, my PhD research was about women and bullfighting in southern Spain, so quite distant from the kind of work that I do now. But um, that was a fantastic 
um, project and, and very valuable for me in terms of the, the experiences that it gave me in, to, in, in learning how to be an anthropologist, but also learning how to be an interdisciplinary anthropologist mm-hmm. because at that stage I'd already started to do a lot of research using photography. I'd already trained in ethnographic filmmaking. And at that point, my work really started to cross over with sociology a lot more as well. Mm-hmm. And in fact, after that, I never worked as an anthropologist in an anthropology department um, in my whole career. I very quickly went on to work in sociology and cultural studies. Um, then after that, my next job, I worked in sociology for um, about 12 years. And after that, I moved into a position in the Design Research Institute um, for 50% of my time and 50% in the School of Media and Communication. Um, since then, my current position is that I'm the director of the Emerging Technologies Research Lab at Monash University here in Australia. And in that position, I'm actually based 50% in information technology and um, 50% in design. Um, I think for me, that's a very privileged position to be in. Mm. And um, my lab also is, is across the, those two faculties. So half of the people who work in the lab are based in IT and half of the people are based in design. So that gives us a marvelous opportunity to develop a lab that focuses on emerging technologies, but that does so in relation to the, the latest developments that are being explored in, in IT and in technology design in that section of our, our, um, our work but also to work in relation to, um, to design, design and design practice and, and through that also to be connected to um, arts practice and architecture. So it gives us a marvellous opportunity to actually be a group of social scientists because my colleagues in the lab are a sociologist, a geographer, yeah. design anthropologist, another anthropologist. So we, we work in a truly interdisciplinary environment, which as far as I'm concerned, it's fundamental if we're to have impact as anthropologists working in a, in a context where our work goes across academic scholarship. We believe in the highest quality academic scholarship and and in applied practice as well. So our work is interventional, industry focused, um, public and community focused as well. We work with all kinds of different organisations. But as far as I'm concerned, um, if we want to do really good work that impacts in in organisations and in the, the wider society and the wider context, we need to work on that as theoretical social scientists yeah. as well. That complex theoretical, methodological, analytical work that actually enables us to contribute insights that anthropologists who work only in industry can't, don't have the, the time and the capacity to actually work on in the same way. Uh, Sarah, there's this kind of, I, I love this approach to multidisciplinarity. Uh, how did you see it kind of coming about in, in, in the way you approached your development and skill? In my career, I've always been interested in the margins. Mm. Um, I've never been so fascinated by what has been going on the mainstream in the mainstream of anthropology as a discipline, or in the mainstream of, of any discipline, actually. I think those centres and those calls where everybody's working and everybody's following the same interests and yeah. often only talking to each other um, yeah. within their disciplines. I think that's important work, but it's really not for me. Mm. Um, I was, from the beginning, interested in visual anthropology, which was relatively marginalized. You know, I did my master's degree in the the very first visual anthropology programs to exist. It's now become considerably more popular. Um, From that, I continued to work in visual anthropology. I wrote my visual ethnography book. I started to work in sensory anthropology and sensory ethnography, which again was a marginalized aspect of the discipline. I started to work in applied anthropology early on when 
at that point, not many mainstream or you know, serious anthropologists who consider to be serious anthropologists were doing applied anthropology. And mm. I held a, um, a workshop that was um, in 2003, I think, um, yeah. at which, you know, people were still talking, applied anthropologists were still talking about mm. how they'd been marginalized, particularly, uh, particularly earlier than that. But, um, and I actually held that workshop as part of um, an ESRC seminar series that I had funded. Um, when I was involved with, with actually trying to bring applied anthropology together with mainstream anthropology a lot more. Hmm. So um, as far as I'm concerned, it's been those more quirky and those more yeah. kind of exciting yeah. and interesting areas of anthropology that I've pursued. And I've worked hard to actually bring them into the view, not only of mainstream anthropology, but um, of interdisciplinary research as a whole. And, and what helped but, you on that path? Because I, I know I, I was one of them and I meet a lot of students that kind of have mm -hmm. the same interests, but they don't feel that they can speak out or they don't feel empowered enough to, to be able to fully pursue that, that, that path, you know? So how, how did it work for you? I think for me what helped me was a commitment to doing what I thought was interesting and important and um, to follow the hunches that I had in terms of what I was interested in. When I wrote my visual my visual ethnography book, I had no idea that anybody else would even ever read it, yeah. to be perfectly honest. I wrote oh. it because I believed that something was in, very interesting was happening in, the term, in terms of how some... Anthropo not only anthropologists, anthropologists and sociologists, and also people from other interdisciplinary areas that drew on those disciplines, were starting to use photography and um, video and film in their research. It's just a splattering of it to start yeah. with, but I want to draw all of that work together with my own work, where obviously I've been using those techniques and developing them. I want to draw all of that together to understand what was happening in that field and to try to determine what it was and, and where it could go. Um, so, you know, I, I was very surprised that that book was so successful um, because I didn't, I didn't realize how much interest that area could ultimately generate. Same with my sensory ethnography mm. work. I think I had more of a sense of the impact, that a kind of impact that a book like that could have. But again, I drew it together because I personally believed that it was an area that enabled me in my research to produce new types of knowledge or new ways of knowing about other people and their experience, which for me, video and, and attention to the senses is absolutely fundamental because it enables us to understand those unspoken and um, often invisible aspects of human experience, which are so hidden, but are often so, so, which are very often the most, most fundamental um, dimensions and meaningful dimensions of human experience. And if we can't attend to those, we don't have the techniques and methodologies and approaches that enable us to learn about them. How can we do really good research that mm. actually brings forth some knowledge that would enable us to ultimately then make interventions? So I guess that takes me on to the, one of the next areas of my work, which is um, making those connections with design. Mm. Yeah. Um, and design anthropology is not new at all. You know, it's been happening for quite a long time. But there's a particularly really interesting and exciting way of design anthropology, which I associate with the Danish design anthropology tradition, which has been led by people like Rachel Charlotte Smith, yeah. Ton Otto and Wendy Gunn. And I, I love the work of all of those yeah. scholars and, and, um, and have collaborated with some of them as well. So um, I think that that's for me is the, the next exciting stage. And it's about a way of doing anthropology differently. And what's central to, to the 
way of doing anthropology differently, which I'm particularly passionate about at the moment, is the futures anthropology dimension, which is very aligned with design anthropology. So in 2014, myself and Juan Salazar, who I've worked with here, formed the um, Futures Anthropology Network um, of the European Association of Social Anthropologists with a group of others. And um, mm -hmm. two of our colleagues have taken over the, the um, leading roles in that, that group now. And um, for me, the Future Anthropologies Network is, um, has been a really fundamental influence on my thinking and on my practice. The idea that we have a committed group of anthropologists who are actually determined to create a new anthropology that doesn't just reflect on what's happening in the present and what has happened in the past, mm -hmm. but that actually tries to think about how we do ethnographic and anthropological research and analysis in that space of the future. And the future in the sense of understanding futures is uncertain, as unknown, as, as things that we can't predict, and many kind of very fascinating ways of thinking about future along those lines. There's a, there's a reason for that, which um, for me is also fundamental, is that if we're going to have any impact as anthropologists and we're, if we're going to be able to challenge, particularly in the area of technology, design and development, and the way that that's thought of in dominant societal narratives, where, where the idea is really that um, um, new and emerging technologies will impact on society, they'll influence cultures and change society. I mean, of course, we know as anthropologists that technology will not change society, <laughs> and they won't, that people change society. Yeah. Society yeah. changes through, through people's involvement. And um, so if we're going to ever change any of those narratives, we have to be active in the temporalities of research where the other disciplines are active, who actually guide those narratives. So economists, <laughs> people who um, governance and, and policy. Um, technology design, they're all working in, in zones where they consider the idea that they can predict futures or talk about what's going to happen in the future very unproblematically. Now, for anthropologists, it's very complicated to do that because we don't think you can, but we do need to find ways to work as researchers in which we don't just criticize what other disciplines do, but we actually engage with them in the spaces in which they're working. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a fundamental yeah. next step that not just anthropology but all of the social sciences need to take and that means we need to develop new methods, new approaches, new theories of understanding futures, researching futures and analysing futures and to use those to contest and, and critique but in a much more practical way the, the way that other disciplines are working developing assumptions about futures, the very ideas and concepts of futures that they're working with, the things that we need to contest with understandings of futures as uncertain and unknown and unpredictable. And can you mention some, some spaces? You, you've mentioned already one where, where this type of work is being developed right now. Um, in the work that I've been developing with my colleagues in Sweden, for example, we've been working with them um, on the question of autonomous driving vehicles. There I collaborate with Halmstone University and Volvo Cars. So one of our projects called Human Expectations and Experiences of um, Autonomous Driving Vehicles, there we've been actually working with experimental methods, which are already used in the automotive industry um, and simulations, which have enabled us to do research with people who've experienced possible future technologies that don't actually already exist. Mm -hmm. So if we, if we work with um, organizations that do technological prototyping and simulation and um, experimental methods, then we can actually research in that, that zone of futures that haven't really happened, or won't mm -hmm. really happen, but that could happen in such a way that we're able to understand something of experiences that aren't actually really possible. <laughs> so that's a really exciting zone to work in as an anthropologist, but very unconventional, yeah, very unconventional yeah. zone for anthropologists to engage with. And, and of course, creates all kinds of 
problems for um, mainstream or traditional anthropology in terms of the ethics and um, and the way the ways in which we can actually write about the unknown and the the um, the not yet or the hasn't happened um, because anthropology is always sort kind of ethical refuge in, in the idea that if we only write about things that have already happened yeah. and, and qualify all of our writing in terms of it being about the past or writing in the past tense, then we won't kind of commit that very, very pro problematic practice of objectifying our research participants as if they're crystallized in an ongoing, continuous present. And, and, you know, we had a big shift in anthropological practice and around the 1980s, um, which stopped that practice, which was problematic. So yeah. how do we overcome the concerns that have led us to write, always write into the past by now finding ways in which we can ethically and responsibly write into the future yeah. to acknowledge that uncertainty, that that context of writing about things that we can't be sure about at all, and we can't claim that we can only know about things that we've observed. But how can we know about things that can actually not be known? Then how can we com comment about on them in, in ethical ethical yeah. ways? And that, that's an ongoing project. You know, many many future research projects and experiments are going to take place um, in which anthropologists will explore that question and those ideas and, and those practices. And um, I hope collectively work on on those questions yeah. and, through which ultimately develop um, frameworks and guidelines and paradigms through which we can work in those those very very different zones for anthropology as we move on into the future. Yeah, it, it reminds me of, of Ursula Le Guin and, and a few others anthropologists that have wrote in this kind of space of sci-fi and imagination. Yes, a, yes. It's really cool. Um, Sarah, coming back into your uh, interest in the conference and, and the topic that you will be speaking to, can you share a little bit about that? Um, the kinds of thing I'll be speaking about will still depend a little bit on exactly what research I've been doing up to the moment when I give the talk. So there's a couple of really exciting research projects that I'm involved in at the moment, but which we haven't yet started to publish or talk about in, in public very much. So with my colleagues in Sweden uh, and Denmark, so my colleagues from Holmstad University in Sweden, Aarhus University in, in Denmark, and also Volvo Cars and our, our city partners in Sweden, we've been developing, um, have a project which um, has actually as an acronym, um, AHA, um, which stands for a human approach to mobility as a service and um, there we're looking at how we can bring together different stakeholders to develop new ways of imagining future intelligent mobility systems and transport systems in cities um, in that project um, my colleagues especially my colleagues in Sweden and Denmark who've been developing the workshops have, have designed really innovative new ways of bringing together multiple stakeholders in those processes um, to imagine these new um, future intelligent systems and um, transport and mobility systems that um which is very exciting. And the other important thing that we've been doing in that work is we've been bringing ethnographic insights mm -hmm. from other projects into our workshops to, to actually enabling the human perspective and the human approach, which is, is drawn from our analysis and from the very materials that come from those ethnographic projects to become part of those processes through which people from um, industry and, and city um, cities actually start to imagine the human human futures um, of intelligent mobility systems. So that's one of the projects that um, I hope to be talking about at the conference. Um, another project that I'm just about to start here in Australia with my colleague Yolanda Strengers, who both she works with me here in the Emerging Technologies Research Lab and is a sociologist of um, of technology. It's a project called Digital Energy Futures, which is funded by the 
Australian Research Council. We're collaborating with two energy companies in the Energy Consumers Association in Australia in that project. And in that project, we're going to be doing some very exciting new kind of futures research um, because we're going to be doing qualitative research about future energy demands, but specifically around the kinds of technologies that people um, in everyday life, in their everyday lives, will be using and, and engaging with in futures. Um, so it's very exciting. We're going to be thinking about, for example, it might be self-driving cars or future ways of doing the laundry. How will people actually need to use technologies that consume energy in their future lives, in their homes, and in their other aspects of their everyday lives? Well, um, so we will use um, ethnographic methodologies, especially video ethnography methodologies, but we'll also use ethnographic futures methodologies. So we'll be trying to do what have been called in design anthropology, um, ethnographies of the possible, those kind of future um, possible situations and contexts. How, how can we go about understanding those working with our research participants in everyday lives to, to actually get a sense of what their possible future scenarios will be like and, and what the implications of those scenarios will be for energy demand from a very qualitative perspective. The interesting thing about that project is that we're going to be developing new energy forecasting mm -hmm. methodologies in collaboration with people who already do statistical um, quantitative energy forecasting research. So that gives us opportunity to be the first kind of group of researchers in the world who bring together qualitative and quantitative um, techniques to think about futures in new ways to try to you know, crack some of those fundamental kind of questions that the energy industry has about what might be going to happen in the future and how they can best prepare for that. Yeah, I wanted to ask you if you're going to speak also to how this collaboration happens, the collaboration between um, the qualitative and the quantitative and the translation from, um, you know, the messiness of human lives to kind of binary algorithm development. Yes, because um, collaboration is, um, is, a, is a basis of all of our, our research. So in every project, um, the collaborative processes through which we work will emerge differently. Mm -hmm. And I think that we, like all other researchers who who, um, who do interdisciplinary work, are also still learning about collaboration. And we learn about that through all of the projects that we participate in, because there are no existing templates that really tell us um, how, as anthropologists, to work with designers and engineers and people from other disciplines, um, who many of whom will, will never have worked with social scientists before. So there's a really interesting learning process there where I think that we build on our experiences from all of our previous projects then to design um, methods and, and processes through which we might learn about how each other work and, and bring our work together with others. Um, that's a very exciting part of the process because, of course, we have to recognize, acknowledge and understand each other's expertise. We have to re we have to respect each other's theoretical approaches, even if they might be different and they might not be completely coherent with ours. We need to be able to understand that things work. Um, the fact that they work means that they, they deserve respect rather than being critical anthropologists who assume that um, if the theory isn't coherent with ours, then it must be something that we must critique. And while we obviously retain our critical perspectives, um, we need to find ways in which we can work with people from other disciplines and um, and share concepts in ways that might contest each other's approaches mm. and theories and findings, but, sh but share concepts in such a way that we can together build concepts that might have that multiplicity of ideas invested in them and, and will be support and can supportively enable us to bring together our understandings in such ways that we can work towards new and, I don't want to say solutions, but interventions. Yeah. Um, ways of creating um, different 
possible ways forward. You know, in some of the projects, many of the projects actually that I've been working on, the concept of trust has been absolutely fundamental. And that's one of my core research interests at the moment mm. in terms of understanding how we can bring design anthropological theories of trust into dialogue with the kinds of theories of trust that are used in human-computer interaction and um, other research fields that tend to think of trust as being transactional and interactional, whereas the design anthropological um, theory of trust, which I've developed with, with my colleagues in various of our research articles and, and projects, sees trust very much as being um, circumstantial and contingent on the particular configurations of things and processes that might come together in a context that a particular person's in at a particular moment in time. Um, so invite us to research trust in a very different way to the way that trust is researched in other disciplines. That's just one example. I would love anthropologists to, um, to work together to create a whole series of um, concepts that could be used in that way as points of dialogue and, and, um, and difference. Um, but creative modes of, of developing new ways of understanding what's happening and what could possibly happen with other disciplines. Well, you're going to have a very good audience because I know Don <laughs> wants to have like a, a, a mix of anthropologists and people from other disciplines that is almost half-half. Yeah. So I think I think all of this, the thing that you will be speaking to will be very valuable because um, how do you put those knowledges together? How do you get them to dialogue and collaborate? Um, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's not that easy. Yes. And I'm looking forward to giving my talk. As, as much as that, I'm looking forward to the questions that will emerge from the audience, because for me, that's always a very exciting part of um, you know, communicating with, um, with groups of people who have similar and shared interests. And um, often, you know, the discussion for me is, is one of the most fascinating parts of giving any public talk. Mm. And what, what type of advice would you have for, for people um, that haven't worked with an anthropologist yet in that type of setting and um, would like to give it a go? Where should they start? Um, I think they should start by being very honest about the challenges that, and, um, and opportunities that they see themselves confronting as they move on. And to present to the anthropologist that the questions um, that, that they feel that they would like to resolve. Um, they need to be open to the fact that the anthropologist will probably turn the question around for them. Um, very often you find that um, people think that they're facing one particular challenge where, um, and the answer might not be where the question originally lies. <laughs> um, very often when we do anthropology, we take routes um, which involves us following the hunches um, that emerge during our research process. And um, we go on something of a, a research story, I think, as we move through the different aspects of, of any research project and the different field sites and the, the mm. different groups of people with whom we collaborate and who participate in our research. And um, the questions that that leads us to ask are the, are the ones that actually eventually take us to the, the deep insights that we can then use to inform um, the way that we understand um, the findings of our research and also the insights that we can provide to industry and other partners. To be prepared for, for delightful and, and very useful and productive surprises. But also to, to know that, yes, I mean, we always answer the questions that we set out to answer as well. Yeah. But I guess there's this lovely balance between what we wanted to know and what we hoped we would know, what we hoped we would find out, and what we didn't know we could possibly find out. And, and but that we did find out and which actually tells us so much about what we wanted to know. So then you're asking maybe for a suspension and dis of disbelief and a little bit of trust? Oh, absolutely. Trust is fundamental. Yeah. How, how do you, 
how do you move from the rationally trying to do that to, to actually doing it in the moment? I, I know that I struggle with this in my work as, a, as, as an applied anthropologist. And until you go through a cycle of work together, um, it's very difficult to get your, your corporate or business partners to kind of suspend that disbelief from the beginning, you know, in the space of unknowing what exactly will emerge. I think that um, there are usually some very interesting moments in research that um, I think bring those points home in very concise ways and very often represent um, the patterns that you start to detect as a researcher during the research process. There's one video clip that I showed at the Why the World Needs Anthropologists conference that I very often show to industry partners, which um, comes from a project that I did about laundry in Indonesia years ago and um, in that clip the you know the best moment for me in the research process was um, I was working with an Indonesian filmmaker who was actually sending me the footage from Indonesia when she um, sent me the clip where you know she says to the two women who are participating you know well why don't you use the washing machine to wash your clothes in? and they go into a long discussion of why of course they, they didn't use the washing machine to wash the clothes but they used it for other things and um, you know those are the moments in research where you understand that there's something that you hadn't realized that you suddenly then need to pursue that question um, in different ways and through different extremes across the, the whole of your your research materials and in the future questions you ask. Um, those moments enable us to say a lot um, as long as we use them well and contextualize them in, in terms of the arguments that we wish to make. So I, I find that, that that very often happens to me in every, in every project. Yeah. So let the work speak for you, um, as long as you have found ways to capture it in a way that it can be expressed, right? That's it. that's the relationship between um, the, the particular and the general or the specific <laughs> yeah. abstract, which is such a fundamental aspect of being an anthropologist. So it's, it's there in our training mm-hmm. as anthropologists. Um, in, in, in the traditional anthropological training, it's, that's one of the, the fundamental things that we learn. Um, so it's a matter of harnessing some of those um, skills from traditional anthropology and bringing them into an applied anthropological research context and using them maybe in a slightly different way. And for those that are considering to come into the conference, Sarah, what, what would you advise them? Like, how do you know if it's a space that you want to step in? I think that if anybody has curiosity about how they might push their research or they're, they're workers in, in, in an industry or technology context. So if you're a researcher, if you're a designer, if you work in any level in an organization that's um, interested in pushing research and developments to a different level, to um, harnessing new modes of innovation, to understanding people and, and to realizing how understanding people is so fundamental to, to business, also to how we understand what happens to, to technologies as they're designed, because people design technology, but people also use technology, then then of course you should come to the conference, <laughs> because I think that it will inspire new ways of thinking. And um, and I hope that the um, what happens at this conference will actually enable us to start thinking differently collectively um, about technology design and development mm. and the way that industry and, and policymakers and governments think about our human futures and, and the way we think about the responsibilities that we have for creating human futures that technologies will participate in. 
Um, thank you. I have one last question, which maybe it's a, it's a personal one of things that I've been kind of thinking in this space of applied anthropology. And, and it has to do, I think, with, with labels and the bound, the blurriness of the boundary lines between, mm-hmm. uh, the discipline of anthropology, design, um, and even the categorizations that company do with the research and the design processes. So I wonder if you can if you can if you can speak a bit to that because you know as a as an anthropologist coming into a company you have these systems of doing and thinking and building that kind of start boxing people into certain specialities that to a certain extent I don't know do something to this process of working multidisciplinarity fluidly so I'm not sure if my question is clear enough but I, I wonder if you can talk about about that a little bit. Yeah, I'm not sure if I know exactly what what I mean, right? Like, like for example, going for um, you you want to to be a multidisciplinary, or, or you you don't believe in the uh, uh, rigidity of those boundaries between wh- who who researches and who does. So then you go into this job interview processes where companies, based on the organizational design that they have, they tend to box you into a specific field. And then that also creates a certain expectation on behalf of the design discipline. And, and maybe there are companies that are more progressive with their, with their design processes on how they actually design these processes of researching and doing, but not a lot, for, from my personal experience, not many are. So then... I think that- yeah, yeah, I think as a design anthropologist, you have to be aware of the value of what you bring because mm-hmm. of your specific training, your specific specific form of expertise. So for me, that goes back to what I was saying earlier about being aware of um, the skill, the particular skill you have as an anthropologist of being able to work theoretically and critically and the specific analytical skill you have. Um, being able to bring together diverse types of material and um, ways of knowing, which might range from, you know, video, sensory experience, your mm-hmm. own experience, or interviews, um, a whole a whole range of different types of things that you need to be able to bring them together, things with different affordances, different characteristics, and you need to be able to tell a story about what you think is happening in the world and how other people experience in relation to those materials. And that's a very complex thing to be able to do. Mm. It's a difficult skill to acquire. Um, But usually anthropologists acquire that skill during the course of doing a PhD. Mm. Um, And very often people from other disciplines don't have that skill. Um, so I think there's a question of thinking about and, and being able to then relate those findings to theory is very important and that's another skill that you'll probably find that designers won't have or will have developed in different ways. So anthropologists bring particular types of expertise into a design anthropology research process and as time goes on anthropologists very can, can learn um, to work with designers and the kind of work that designers do. But I think also respect the boundaries and respect other people's mm-hmm. expertise. Designers have amazing skills as well. And um, I would say learn with designers about how designers create workshops, how designers document workshops, mm-hmm. how they learn through workshops and how they engage the workshop process to be able to actually produce um, something that an anthropologist would never have thought of doing had they only had a traditional training in, in anthropology. It's very much about collaboration. It's about bringing your own expertise, expertise together with that of others and respecting that expertise and, and working with them to determine what you can know together that you've never been able to know on your own and considering how that can feed into 
processes of, of intervention and can generate insights that might influence how others think in ways that are beneficial and useful. Thank you so much, uh, Sarah. Um, it's been a, I'd love to keep going and asking you many, many other questions, but I'm, I'm pretty aware of the time um, and we're kind of approaching our time limit. So thank you so much for being with us today. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at the conference. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.